invite you to take your Bible this evening, and uh, we're going to be looking at several uh, different passages tonight as we uh, look at the hope set before us. I'd like you to start with uh, turning to Hebrews chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 6, then we're going to go to John 14, but we'll be doing that, uh, and then I'll just, uh, we'll, we'll be looking at a variety of texts tonight. I want you to keep your Bible in front of you if you can, and um, so you can read with me and be studying it with me as we uh, look at the... Um, just try to put some, some shape and form to uh, the hope that God has given to us in Christ Jesus. Uh, so Hebrews chapter 6, we looked at this this morning. I'm going to begin reading again at verse 13, and we'll read through verse 18. Hebrews chapter 6, let's begin at verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of his promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. God in heaven, we want to be taught by the Spirit himself tonight, taught the great things of God. Uh, And Lord, taught so that we believe and so that we rejoice, uh, so that we uh, leave here this evening full of hope confident that the God who's called us is a God who one day will greet us as we see Jesus face to face in our new heaven and and new earth. So Lord, bless us tonight as we open your word in Jesus' name. Amen. The title from my message tonight is taken from verse 18 of Hebrews 6, the hope set before us. I have been reading Randy Elkhorn's book lately entitled Heaven. Some of you maybe have read that. It's a very interesting, very readable book about the topic of, of heaven. And Elkhorn makes the, um, the charge there that, that we suffer as a contemporary church with um, being really fuzzy in our thinking about what heaven is actually about, what it what it's like. It says that saints in uh, prior times and places um, had a much more robust theology of heaven. Uh, they, they had a sense of it, what it, what it, what it was like, what it, what it uh, sounded like, uh, smelled like, tasted. Uh, they, they could almost grasp it uh, because they thought of it. Uh, they, they thought uh, often of it because living in a, in a hard world, if you're thinking of you know, 400 years ago, the Puritans, how many of their children are being buried? John Owen had 10 children. None of them, uh, only one survived to adulthood. Um, when you are in the midst of death, when you are seeing loved ones um, go home to be with the Lord, you're, you tend to think about eternal things in ways that maybe we we really don't. Uh, we believe that heaven is real. I'm sure that you all would say, I, I believe that heaven is real. If I asked you to describe it, uh, my guess is that our descriptions would, would be pretty vague. Um, heaven, we believe it's real, but it's, it doesn't seem as real as the world in which we inhabit, the world that we inhabit today. 
And consequently, to let go of things that we actually can touch and see and taste and, and things that we have now, to let go of those things in order to gain something better in the future is hard for us. Because the future realities seem just like shadows. They don't seem concrete and weighty and real. So when Jesus says, lay up for yourself treasure in heaven, we know we should do that. It, it just doesn't seem to make initially and natively sense to us. So uh, one of the things that happens then, you see, is that, that we easily get caught up as American Christians in materialism and consumerism and eroticism. We get caught up in uh, tangible here and now things, and that's exactly what you should expect of people who have vague notions of eternal things. Uh, in in uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, John says that we're going to see Jesus. We're going to be made like him. We shall uh, be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And then he says, everyone who has this hope in himself purifies himself. That, that the hope of being like Jesus and seeing Jesus and being with Jesus forever, that is a purifying vision. And if you don't have that vision tangibly before you, it just makes sense that uh, we're going to have other things in front of us. A worldliness is going to be very natural, very easy, uh, because we're just blind to eternal things. This evening we're going to uh, take a look at ver a variety of scriptures. This, this sermon, we cannot possibly capture all that um, the Bible tells us about heaven, but I was just spurred this morning by uh, our, the text in Hebrews chapter 6 that God wants us, his desire is that we hold fast to the hope set before us. If you remember, uh, there in Hebrews chapter 6, uh, the, the writer is reminding us of God's uh, unchangeable purpose and his irrevocable oath uh, because God has a passion uh, to encourage us with assurance, with confidence to hold fast to eternal things. He wants his saints to be utterly convinced, not just that their sins are forgiven, not just that he loves you, not just that he's going to work out things in this life for your good. Most of all, God wants to convince you that you have a future and a hope, a new heaven and a new earth uh, future ahead of you, that, that um, there is a better country awaiting you. There is an eternal city with foundations that's ahead. There is a kingdom that will not be shaken, and you are citizens of that kingdom already now and are going to enjoy the fullness of that in, a, in an age to come. So, so God wants us, you see, to lay hold to this, to hold fast to it. And that's only going to happen when we have some understanding of what it is. Uh, now, of course, there are mysteries about the new heaven and the new earth and, and heaven as it is today, things that we cannot comprehend. The human mind, right, is not able to penetrate these things. And the, Paul says we see through a glass dimly. But, but God hasn't left us in the dark. The Bible does talk a lot about heaven. And there are, there are uh, clues throughout Scripture that, that can give us insight um, into what it's actually about and, and what it's like and what we can expect and, and hope for. And I think we just need to be uh, cognizant as well that one of the devil's schemes is to 
um, confuse us or just make us forget about our true nature and our true identity and our true citizenship and our true hope. Uh, the devil would love it for us to see ourselves primarily as citizens of the United States of America, that that would be the overwhelming, defining um, truth about yourself. When you thought of who am I, you would think either uh, I'm a part of a, of, of a company or I'm a part of, a, of this country or I'm a part of maybe this family, but, but that you wouldn't first of all think I am a citizen of, an, of the kingdom of God, a new heaven and a new earth is my future home. He wants to, us to, you see, define ourselves and think about ourselves according to what is around us rather than what is ahead of us. And so we have to just, we got to be reminded uh, C.S. Lewis uh, said, uh, this, wrote this note. He says, I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and to help others to do the same. And so that's what we're uh, about tonight, to, as, as God has called us to lay hold of the hope that's set before us. Let's, let's look at Scripture and, and, and just start scratching the surface of, of what this hope is, is about. I'd like you to turn to uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 14. The Gospel of John, chapter 14. Where we're just going to make the, uh, the point that it might seem like a small thing, but I think actually... Uh, it's, it's helpful and corrective to realize that heaven is a real place. It's not a spiritual idea. It's not, um, it's not sort of a mystical uh, state of mind or existence. It is a place. So John, Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so... Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Uh, when Jesus ascended into heaven in his glorified body, Jesus went to a place in his real body. And all the saints who've died from uh, Adam and Eve until the present all, the, all those who belong to God are in a place. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's tangible, it's real, and, and it's helpful for us when we think of loved ones who've died. Some of you have, have uh, beloved parents who have gone to be with the Lord, or you've buried children, uh, or maybe a beloved friend. And it's helpful to know that they're not just gone, they're, they're gone from our immediate experience and, and, and from a, a relationship that we had, but, but they're, not, they're not gone uh, they, are in, they are in a real place, uh, with Jesus in a real place, in the presence of God, in a real place. Now the question, of course, is where is this place? When we think of heaven, we think of up. Um, well, you can ask all sorts of uh, you know, questions to stump theologians about where it is. The Bible doesn't really say where the place is, but from what we see in Scripture, it, it, it seems that the best way to understand heaven is that it exists really, truly, in dimensions that we can't access. So uh, scientists will say, that, you know, we have, we're used to, what, four, four dimensions? Uh, scientists will say there's, there, are, there are more dimensions to the universe. 
uh, that, that we don't have access to. Uh, just for an example, we know that um, elephants can hear really, really, really low sounds that we can't hear. Dogs can hear really, really high pitches that are, that are real. We just can't access them. We don't have the ability with the human ear to hear that. Well, we have certain limitations in this body uh, to, these ver- uh, to a variety of dimensions, and there's, there's dimensions we just cannot access. But... Um, as you look at scripture, uh, angels and even saints who have died seem to have easy access to this earth and can, can appear and sometimes be then visible to the human eye. So uh, we know th- there are many stories in the Bible of angels who appeared when Jesus is born. Suddenly there's with them a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. We love that story. Well, where did they come from? Well, angels, the Bible says, uh, angels are ministering spirits. Angels are present. They're just not always, we, we don't see them as a normal rule, but every once in a while the Lord will open our eyes and we'll recognize that uh, these are angels. It's, it's, uh, it, Randy Elkhorn uh, speaks about, I think it was his grandmother, I'm not, I'm not sure about that. You can read the book. But she's, she's, uh, she's passing away uh, in a hospital bed, 64 years old, and it's late at night, and uh, a nurse hears a, a sound in a room, and so she goes in, and uh, this, this lady, very near death, is sitting up in the bed laughing and saying uh, to, to the nurse, do you, do you see them? And the nurse said, you know, honey, you got to lay down. No, 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 do you see them? They're, they're, they're angels. They're everywhere. And she's just with a huge smile on her face. Um, and that evening she passed away. Now, was that just a mental glitch? Uh, is the brain just not functioning correctly? I, I remember uh, speaking to a godly old Dutch woman back in Chino, California, the, as thoroughly reformed a, a woman as you'll ever find in your entire life. And um, she, was, she was very old, uh, longing to be with the Lord, and, and told me, um, in, just as we were talking together about the Lord, about an experience she'd had recently where um, she, she woke up and, and there's, there was an angel in the room. Now, I'm not going to say, uh, Mrs. Verhoeven, surely we don't believe those things. <clears throat> now, when I have this Bible and angels appear, so we just want to be, rec- we want to recognize that, that the it's not that heaven is a long, long ways away. It, it seems to be a, a place that angels and, and we can have access to. So think about uh, the story of Elisha and Gehazi. They're, uh, they're being surrounded by a, uh, the king who um, is frustrated with Elisha because Elisha seems to know all about his, his, his war plans. And, and so they surround the city of Dotham where Elisha is staying and Gehazi goes, oh no, Lord, uh, we're surrounded. And Elisha prays in, first, in 2 Kings 6, oh Lord, open his eyes so that he can see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And so there we have the, the realities of heaven suddenly visible to the inhabitants of earth. If you think about the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus goes and, and he takes along John and Peter and, and they're there uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration and there's Jesus and there's Moses 
And there's Elijah. And they're having a conversation about Jesus' departure. Well, where did they come from? They came from heaven. And they're talking with the Lord about uh, what is soon to pass. When Stephen, the deacon in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen is, is being stoned to death, we read that he, verses 55, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That wasn't a vision. It wasn't a dream. It wasn't just the brain misfiring before he, he passes. That is Stephen so full of the Holy Spirit that he has the ability to, to see the unseen. And so you see, heaven is it's a place. It's the ultimate place. It's the archetypal, uh, the, the, the place that sort of defines place uh, because God is there. We, 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 we have to, I think, just really come to grips and, and embrace the overwhelming reality of this place. In fact, we could say that heaven is more real, right, in a sense, than than earth, that earth is in some sense a shadow. Now, C.S. Lewis does a lot with this, and, and I, I'm intrigued by the idea that, that this is all, of course, perfectly real. But, but I think we can say that there is a it's, a, it's a, it's it's real in shadow form. A shadow is real too, of course. So, if you think of Eden, Eden was a type, an earthly replication of the glories of heaven. If you think about the tabernacle, we're told specifically that that's exactly what the tabernacle was. Hebrews 5, verse 8, we read that Old Testament priests uh, serving in the temple serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. The real temple, the really real temple, the really real holy place is in heaven. So Elkhorn says these verses in Hebrews suggest that God created earth in the image of heaven, just as he created mankind in his image. Our thinking is usually backwards. We tend to think of heaven as though it were a shadow of earth when the exact opposite is true. And so God creates an, man in his image and he creates an earth in the, in the image, in a sense, of heaven. It's real, but it points to Deeper truths. You find that even in, in human relationships. So uh, when we think of the, the father-child relationship on earth, um, why does God create that on earth? Well, he creates that on earth because there is a, a father-child relationship in heaven. Uh, in, in the mystery of the Trinity, there's the father and the son. And, in, and then in, the, in the, the drama of redemption, there is God the Father and all those who belong to the Son. And you see, that is the, the ultimate father-son relationships, the, 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 those that belong to heaven. And, and God gives us on earth then images to help us understand these eternal things. The same is true for marriage. Paul speaks of that in Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, God doesn't um, sort of scrounge around earth trying to find something here that he could use as a prop to understand a heavenly reality. When, when, when Paul says, that, now think about marriage, uh, about covenanted human love and, and, uh, and sexual intimacy, that's not the pattern 
That's the shadow pointing to the ultimate reality of, of, of a love within the Trinity and a love between Jesus Christ and his bride. That's the ultimately real thing. So our, our categories here, you know, people will, will, um, will ask with some concern because the Bible says there won't be any marrying or marriage in heaven. Um, and that seems, if marriage is one of the most precious things in, in, in your life, which praise God if that's true, um, well, that's, that seems to be a loss. Well, no, it's not a loss because the best marriage is a shadow of a greater reality. Heaven is going to blow the categories you see wide open. So C.S. Lewis, is, again, says, you know, this is the shadow land. Heaven is the full glorious reality. And even when we speak of heaven, we know that, that what we're talking about, heaven as it is now, heaven as our loved ones who've died in the Lord enjoy right now is not the ultimate a reality that God has for us. There's, there's something yet to come which the Bible calls the new heaven and the new earth. Peter speaks of this, 2 Peter chapter 3. According to his promise, we are waiting, looking forward to new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. There's a lot of conversation in, in the theological circles about is that just going to be this earth um, with a, a nice redo, or is that going to be something completely brand new? And, and uh, there are a lot of discussions. I'm not going to get into that tonight because the essential thing, the new heaven and new earth is the dwelling place of God with man. That is our ultimate destination. It's our full and final inheritance. It's what we read about in the book of Revelation. Then the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven and God will dwell with them and they will be his people and he will be their God and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain anymore because Jesus says, behold, I am making everything new. And friends, that is our hope. That's our hope. Our hope is that we will, with glorified bodies and perfected souls, dwell forever with God as the bride of Christ, as the people of God, in a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. That's our hope. One of the tragedies of the contemporary church is been a loss of that hope in, in, uh, in, in favor of something more present. <clears throat> So Jesus, who comes to help you have a better life in the here and now. Jesus, who comes to, to be your life coach or, your, or your, um, the one who heals your emotions, whatever it might be, the one who teaches you better life skills, uh, the one who just maybe just gives you peace and comfort now. But, but the focus is, is, is so much about the here and now. Well, all that is true, but it's only true when we see it in light of the ultimate hope, what God has given us, Jesus for is that you and all those who know the Lord will reign with Jesus. The gospel, it is so much bigger and more glorious than, than just you being forgiven your sins and, and just you having a, a God who comforts you and helps you. Praise the Lord that he does, but he comforts and helps you to get you to your hope. A new heaven and a new earth made in the image of Jesus Christ, dwelling with him forever, reigning with him, glory and honor bestowed on you. 
That stuns me. How does a Dutch dairy kid from Coopersville get glory and honor? How do you get glory and honor? The glory and honor that belongs to Jesus. So that angels marvel. Well, you do it because that's what God has promised to do for you. That's what he's promised you. And so our hope is that better country. That city with foundations. It's a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It's going to be, uh, the Bible tries to give us some word pictures. If uh, you remember uh, Isaiah chapter 11. The wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. No more, no more sin, no more crass, uh, wicked entertainment, no, no, more, no more temptation, no more, no more death, no more crying, no more abuse. Every remnant of sin and the fall will be forever gone. No more death or, or pain or fear anywhere in all of God's new heaven and earth. Everything that belonged to death is going to be fully swallowed up in all that is truly life. And the, the, the wonder then is that, the, the beauty is that our, our loved ones know that already in the presence of Jesus Christ. Uh, those that you've, you've buried uh, are with the Lord. I, I, there was a poem, I wish I'd brought it with me, um, and I'll, I'll, maybe I'll, I'll bring it to you some other time, but, and I don't even remember who wrote it. I just remember the last line. Uh, the last line is, uh, graves are but doorways in sod. Graves are just doorways in sod. It's not the end. Um, it's the doorway into a glorious beginning. And one of, the, uh, one of the ways that God wants to stir our longing for this is um, he tells us this, it's, this is going to be our home. So if you'd flip to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> Jeff just preached on this not that long ago, and so I'm not, I'm not going to... Uh, and that was an excellent sermon. You can go back and, and, uh, and hear that again. But of all the words that the Bible uses to describe heaven, I think home is maybe most resonates with our, with our hearts. Uh, home is where you enjoy the best things, really, in life. Intimacy and companionship and family and food and, and rest. Home is where you fit and where you belong. And yet, even the best of homes um, are shot through with sin. Homes are where uh, horrible fights happen. Homes are where tears are shed. Homes are often where there's deep loneliness. Homes are sometimes where there's abuse. Uh, because homes are fallen places, and yet we, we, we long for, uh, deeply long for, home. And, and Paul speaks of that in, in 2 Corinthians. Let's just pick it up, uh, start at uh, chapter 4, verse 16. These are such beautiful words. It says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, and our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now we know, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, and it will be, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. 
For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. It's a great, great description. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. We live in tents, temporary shacks, things that leak and uh, break down. Uh, if, you're, if you're past 40 years old, you're starting to realize the tentness of your body. Um, you realize the tentness of life in this world in general. Uh, even, even things that you maybe think could never crumble do and fall apart. Uh, God, you see, will not leave us to settle here, to make our home here. C.S. Lewis says, Our Father refreshes us on the journey with some pleasant ends, but will not encourage us to mistake them from, for home. And so the spirit that God has given to you as a, guarantee, as a deposit guaranteeing your future, that spirit creates within you a yearning, a longing. I have to confess that every time I stand at a grave and... Um, we, we read scripture and, uh, and we pray and, and then we turn away every, every, every time just reminded this, this life isn't what it's about. This isn't what we were ultimately made for. That, that there are deep longings and desires that simply do not get filled here and even the best things uh, pass away. This is, this is temporary. This is tent life. And our desire is that we would be further clothed, clothed with immortality. Our desire is that we would be at home with the Lord. Paul says we're of good courage, even though right now we're in tent life, we're of good courage, because this is temporary. And there is coming a weight of glory that is beyond comparison, beyond our ability to comprehend. And that's what we're to yearn for. When the Bible talks, when God says to hold fast to your hope, uh, he wants it to, us to, to fuel those longings for that better country, to fuel those longings uh, for the new heaven and the new earth. Paul talks about this in Romans 8. Why don't you flip there and we'll wrap up with that. Romans chapter 8, where Paul is uh, <clears throat> speaking so eloquently about the groaning that the creation experiences. Romans chapter 8, we'll pick it up at verse 18. Once again, Paul says, verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. There's so much beauty and goodness and glory in that, in that verse. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth 
until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. That's exactly what the writer to uh, the Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is talking about. This hope that we have, in this hope we were saved. We don't see it right now, but we, but we wait for it with patience and we wait for it with groaning. There's a groaning for glory. Creation feels it as, as it is groaning, longing to be set free from the bondage that has come upon it because of the curse uh, due to our sin. Creation is anxious. It's, it's eager. It's yearning for, for, for what it was meant to be or made to be or what, what, it, what its senses must be. Uh, Johnny Erickson Todd in one of her books says, can you, can you hear it in the sign of the wind? Can you feel the heavy silence in the mountains? Can you sense the restless longing in the sea? Can you see it in the woeful eyes of an animal? Something is coming. Something better. And it's an awful thing to lose that groaning. It's an awful thing to be at home in, in a world that's temporary and fleeting and passing away and is not saturated with the glory of God, where righteousness does not cover the earth as the water covers the sea. It's, there's something not right to be at home. When everything is not the way it ought to be, where sin pervades in so many countless ways. And so the Spirit, you see, is going to teach us to groan to groan for our hope, to groan for that which we have been saved, to, to groan for the redemption of our bodies, the full adoption of sons. We've all, we're already adopted. Paul's talking about the experience of sonship in the presence of God when the inheritance actually is finally and fully ours. And that, you see, is the hope that sustains us in a hard world, in, in, in midst of loss and grief and heartache that you will experience the American dream will not protect you from these things. And your best plans and, and, and endeavors will not protect you from heartache and, and devastating loss in this life. It's the nature of this life. And yet, and yet there is a hope, you see, that, that the scripture holds out to us that we need to lay hold of. Just think about the Beatitudes. Where Jesus, again and again and again, blessed are because they will. If you think blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the pure in heart. Why? They shall see God. They shall see God. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. It's not true. They're lying. Yes, I know Jesus says because you're a Christian, blessed are you, rejoice and be glad. Why? For your reward is great in heaven. You see, we have to lay hold of this hope if we're going to live blessed lives in this world, if we're going to live with a sense of what a great privilege is ours and, and that the, the, the suffering and the sorrows that we face in this world, yes, they're real and, and, and they're hard, they're devastating at times, but they're, they're not ultimate and, they don't last. And Jesus says we can, be, we can rejoice and be glad because of the hope that we have in heaven. In C.S. Lewis's book, The Dawn Treader, a ship 
sails east in search of lost countrymen and, and new adventures. And there's, as uh, those of you uh, who've read it know, the, the heart of one passenger, uh, Reepicheep, the valiant mouse. And he's steadfastly set on the greatest of adventures. He's got, he's got one destination in mind, and that's Aslan's country. And from his youth, Reepicheep was taught a poem uh, that one day he would journey to the far east and, and find what he was looking for. So the, the poem is, where sky and water meet, where the waves grow sweet, doubt not, Reepicheep, there is an utter east. And Reepicheep uh, would, would quote that poem to his, his shipmates and, 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 and said, I don't know what it means, but the spell of it has been on me all of my life. And he abandoned himself then to the cause of seeking Aslan's country. He says this, while I can, I sail east in the dawn treader. When she fails me, I will paddle east in my coracle. When she sinks, I shall swim east with my forepaws. And when I can swim no longer, if I have not reached Aslan's country, I shall sink with my nose to the sunrise. That's longing. That's, that's just all sold out. One thing I do, I press on to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And what Jesus took hold of me for and to is his presence in a new heaven and a new earth in a glorified body and a perfected soul to enjoy the bliss of the presence of God and all of God's people forever. Friends, God has set a hope before you. He set a hope before you. And he wants you to hold fast to it. To hold fast to what is yet to come. He's given his oath. He's given you. He's reminded you of his immutable purpose. Two things whereby God cannot lie. He's given us Jesus as our forerunner. He's given us this hope as an anchor for the soul. He's given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee, a deposit. Guarantee what is to come. And, and so the charge to us is to then hold fast. To hold fast. Let heaven become more and more precious and real and prominent. Let it have form and shape in your mind. Let it more and more become the longing of your heart. So that you're hungry. For the things of God and that, and that, that the, the passion of your life is, is to patiently pursue that for which Jesus Christ has called you. And one day it will be yours. God promises. Amen. Oh God in heaven, we are more worldly than we know for our dreams and thoughts and anxieties and plans are so very temporary and fixed on things that are passing and we confess it to you when that it's sin for us to ignore or think lightly of, of the hope which you gave your son to give to us we thank you O oh God that Jesus Christ came to this earth so that we could join him in heaven. We thank you that he bore our guilt and sin so that we could be robed with the clothing of heaven. We thank you, O oh God, that in the midst of a world that is decaying and dying, we are growing 
more and more day by day. Death is being swallowed up by life. And we don't need to fear the grave. It's, it's a doorway cut in sod to the glories that await and the hope that is set before us. Father, I pray that the truths of, of heaven and of our Lord Jesus Christ would be more and more precious to us. We would be hungry people. That our face would be turned to the east, to the hope that's set before us. And we'd live then with patience. We'd live with, with calm and faith, even in, in the midst of heartache and trial and suffering and sorrow. Because, oh God, we know that one day all of this will be rolled up and put away as Jesus Christ returns. We thank you that our loved ones who've died in the Lord even now enjoy the blessedness of heaven. And no more death or crying or pain for them. I pray, Lord God, that you would keep us growing, keep us looking and leaning into this glorious future that you have for us. May Jesus Christ come soon. In his name we pray it. Amen.